Thank you. I'm not going to turn to the Bible first. That comes later. As most of you know, this has arisen out of a prophecy which I wrote two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. About tomatoes, which is a fairly strange thing to be prophesying. That came about because in the prayer meeting, Trevor came over to me towards the end of the prayer meeting, put my arm around me. I thought he was giving me a hug. He wasn't giving me a hug. He was saying, well, he was stirring me up, actually. He said, uh, I hear the word rumbling in you. And I thought, well, that's funny. I don't feel anything particularly this morning. After the prayer meeting, I went out into the foyer and met Lucy Jarvis. How many people know Lucy Jarvis? Good. Well, she's away at the moment. She's in France, where tomatoes probably ripen a lot easier than they do in this country. And Lucy came in, and Lucy being Lucy, she's so enthusiastic about things. She just came and she said, I've got a red tomato! So I joined in the excitement. Because she's been growing tomato, or a tomato plant, maybe two, three tomato plants, I can't remember, in the conservatory of their house. And uh, she's looked after them quite well, but always, I think, just been waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment when a tomato ripened. And she said, well, I've got a red tomato, but the rest of the plant is shriveled. And there are green tomatoes on it. Still, there's lots and lots of fruit. In the middle of that was it. In the middle of the meeting, suddenly, revelation. That's a word for today. And that word was to do with, no matter how shriveled, basically, no matter how shriveled up you may feel, or how shriveled up your life might feel, there's still fruit on the vine. It's just waiting to mature and to ripen. And when the Greek, I know Charlie will... I'll, I'll get it in the neck if I get this wrong. <laughs> yeah, don't point at me like that, Charles. <laughs> when, when the green tomatoes reach maturity, they begin to release a gas called ethylene. And that ethylene is a ripening agent. And that's what causes them to ripen. And I'm told, or I actually saw it on Google... <laughs> I've still been told. I'm told that if you gather the green tomatoes and put them in a paper bag, not a plastic bag, and cover them up, they will eventually ripen, providing those green tomatoes are actually giving off ethylene at that time. Which is quite amazing, isn't it? It's quite amazing how God arranges everything, really. So the whole thing of that, it was a message of hope. A message of hope that no matter how bad things seem to be, no matter how shriveled up you might feel, there's hope. There's hope. There's there's always, always, always hope. So I'm not going to speak about tomatoes. I'm going to go to Ezekiel 37. The Valley of the Dry Bones. It's a very familiar scripture. And... I want to connect the tomatoes, the ethylene gas, the bones, and the spirit. 
That might seem like some kind of magic act. It'll be magic if it comes off. So here we go. And Ezekiel is one of the goofiest books in the Bible. But there's a reason for that, and I'll go into that later. So the Valley of Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. Are you getting the picture? There's a valley. It's absolutely chocker with bones. And not just, these are human bones. They're not animal bones. And it's very, very dry. The bones are very, very dry. The valley must have been the scene, if it was an actual valley, which we don't know whether it was just a vision or an actual valley, it could be both. Those, that must have been the scene of a very great slaughter. Bodies no longer having any flesh, just the skeletons and bones all jumbled up. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? This is the moment where if he said it to me, I'd go, I don't know. Instead, Ezekiel said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's a very crafty answer, isn't it? Don't answer the question. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. If anybody starts singing the song, you're in trouble. (laughs) This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know. That I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, at this juncture, they're all still on the ground. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, says the Lord. Amen. Whoa. Whoa. The backstory to this is, of course, that Israel is in captivity and has been for some time. They're in Babylon. And they've suffered terribly. And Ezekiel himself, I want to just give a little bit of his backstory now. Ezekiel himself has suffered terribly too. At the time when Jerusalem was invaded, Ezekiel was a priest. And a priest was a very highly regarded person in those days. But not just for religious duties. Priests had to know every little in and out and nuance of the complete law of Moses. And they were the people who, who, who other people who were in trouble would go to to get advice on what they should do. And the priests would be able to say, well, according to this law, this, 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 according to this law, this, 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 and this. They had mastery of the law and they would be able to provide an answer. When Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and attacked it and raised it to the ground pretty much and completely damaged the temple and made a complete mess of it, Ezekiel was in trouble and all the other priests were in trouble. He was a youngish man. He could have been 25 to 30 at the time, something like that. He was married, that's recorded. And on this day, he faces terrible, terrible, terrible loss. The temple and the law were his whole life. And he loses the lot in one day. He not only loses that, he loses his wife to the enemy. And worse than that, all the young men were gathered together, lined up, chained. And because there are children in here, I'll have to moderate my language. They were emasculated. They were made into worse than eunuchs because the enemy did not want the young men procreating. Can you imagine? It's horrific, isn't it? So, And after that, they were chained together and they had to walk 500 miles to Babylon on a forced march and be beaten on the way and beaten when they arrived. Their wives would be raped and suffer horrible abuse. He's lost absolutely everything. There's always hope. There's always hope. 
And for Ezekiel, when Ezekiel gets to Babylon, it's recorded in scripture, he was by the Kedar River. The Kedar River runs right in front of the Babylonian temple of the star god Isthar, I think his name is. And Ezekiel and other priests had to serve in front of that temple. They've lost everything back in Jerusalem. And now they're being forced to serve a foreign god in a foreign land. It's difficult for us to imagine. Very, very difficult. If we think we've got trouble, hmm, and we have, I'm not uh, minimising or playing down trouble that people have today. But we're not on our own. He had the trouble and he faced it and he lived through it. And he prophesied this incredible thing about the valley of dry bones. God does his best work in graveyards. Easter morning is a testimony to that. His best work in graveyards. There's a man on a cross, taken down from the cross, laid in a tomb, given up for dead. His disciples have run away, apart from the women. <laughs> sure he'd like me to slip that in. His disciples have run away, and he's, they, they're lost. All their hope is gone. They are clean cut off. Like the Israelites claim to be in Ezekiel's time. And then as the song has it, the body began to breathe. And he burst out of the tomb, raised to new life. God raised Jesus to new glorious life in a substantially different body from the one that I'm standing in. Although one day I'll probably have one of those. There's always hope. The spirit and the spirit brings hope out of hopelessness. There's nothing that we can experience which is beyond the love and the redemption of God. There's nothing that we can experience that's beyond the spirit getting involved in and bringing us out. So when we feel fruitless, hopeless, lost, the world's totally against us, everything's going wrong, he doesn't think that way. And he doesn't speak that way. There is hope. There is always, always, always hope. I love how he does it. It's almost as though he's having a joke with Ezekiel. Can these bones live? And in our situations where things seem black, where there's a storm brewing, as Liz brought to us this morning, where there's a storm brewing, in the middle of those situations, God's saying, you can live. You will come out of this. 
it doesn't mean that suddenly everything's okay. Very often things don't look okay at all. But in the middle of the storm, we can experience God in such a way that the storm doesn't affect us anymore. I think it's Matt Redmond sings a song where he sings something like, well, what is it? Come on, Peter. Scratch your memory. I should have written it down, see, but I didn't think of it at the time. It's, a, it's something about being in the storm, but the storm is not in me. That's what he says in the middle of the storm. The storm is not in me. We can be at complete rest when everything around us is mayhem and wreckage. Nothing is beyond redemption from death. Nothing. Dead dreams can live again. How many people here have had dreams and they've not seemed to come to fruition? Let them die. Because dead dreams can live again. Give them over to him. He'll bring them to life again. Devastation and hopelessness are candidates for restoration. Restoration doesn't mean things will be like they were before. Restoration, God will take you back and take you on from there. Always, always, always. I've already said God does his best work in graveyards. So, we can always be fruitful. How? By embracing the Spirit of God. And she, it's always feminine in the Hebrew apparently, the Spirit of God, she, is wanting to be embraced. And as we put our arms like that, she's doing the same. And clasping us in. To herself or himself. Don't matter about gender. Gender's got nothing to do with it, really. I just like to be naughty. <laughs> well, it is. In the Hebrew, rauk, which is the word for the spirit, is feminine. Every time in the Old Testament. Every time. And I think in the New Testament as well, in the Greek, I think that's also feminine, but I'm not absolutely sure on that one. So it's enough to know. God wants us to come right in to him, to embrace his spirit and be embraced by his spirit and raised from death to new life. They could say, well, I've been born again and born again. Well, get born again then as well. Why not? There's several, you experience several resurrections in life. As many resurrections as difficult circumstances you go through. And so embrace the spirit. I'm going to ask us to do that in a moment. To embrace the spirit. I don't know how that's going to work. Because I've not really thought it through. (laughs) But it doesn't really matter does it? Because the spirit is here. In each one of us. And surrounding each one of us. That's That's the middle of a mystery. That's another... All these songs, you know. I'm standing at the back thinking, 
I going to say now? Because all these songs are saying everything for me, which is really good. And I've got another song to follow as well, which we might sing in a minute. I don't know. It's the one that has the um, chorus. I, I brought it after the tomato prophecy. That, uh, oh, come on. What is it now? And all the earth shall shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. As for Valerie... I've already spoken to her. She's at the back there. I went to Valerie after she'd spoken out here. I said, I really for you, these bones will sing. Her bones will sing. Our bones will sing. Our very being, the thing that holds us up and stops us from being a jelly, will sing. And how big a mystery is that? Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. And what will they sing? Great are you, Lord. I, you know, I think we'll have that song. Mark, would you like to come up and, and get ready? I think we will have it. I wasn't going to, and then I decided not to, and then I've changed my mind. But that's okay. That's, that's my privilege at this moment in time. So, the tomatoes. If your life feels shriveled like Lucy's tomato plant, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it because there's hope. There's fruit. I'm looking at Charles now and he's looking at me and winking. There's fruit on the vine. And the bones can be resurrected and flesh can come upon them and they can be joined together and they can stand up with the breath of God in them and live. 